Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay-Suetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Suetmik-Ulu. And today's text, Always and Forever Laura Jean, is set in Virginia, the traditional home of the Monacan Indian Nation, and the movie adaptation is set in Portland, which is the Cowlitz, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and Clackamas ancestral territory. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Brenna, I have to say, I'm surprised that this is the first trilogy that we have wrapped up considering all the other franchise entries we have covered on the podcast. You know what? It's so easy to sink into a Laura Jean story, and neither one of us resists doing it. And, you know, Netflix sends us the screeners, so it's easier Mm -hmm. to schedule. Like, there's a lot of reasons (laughs) why we've made it through this trilogy and not some of the others. This is true. Yeah, it didn't hurt that they have managed to release these latter two movies back to back on sequential years. So it gives us about the exact amount of time that we need to decompress before we tackle the next one. It's very true. And I will say, Joe, you know, we were talking off air to give folks a little bit of like a behind the scenes. I'm worried I've forgotten this book. And I read it. I read all the sequels after we read the first book because I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed them. And so I read this again. So this was my second read through, but I read it two weeks ago. There was a little bit of delay in us getting the screeners. So scheduling this recording session got pushed back a week. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm afraid to say it's a little forgettable. It is. I mean, they're always, I don't want to say fluffy as a negative term, because they, to me, are kind of evocative of a cotton candy narrative where it goes down easy, you get a little bit of a sugar high, and then after that, you're kind of ready for something a little bit more substantial. Mm -hmm. They're pleasant reads. But yeah, I found particularly with this third entry, the conflict for me wasn't here as strongly. Like I spent a lot of the book wondering, what is this book about? Yes. And you know, it's interesting. They ramp up the conflict dramatically, I think, for the film. They make the stakes a lot higher anyway. Yes. And I I understand why they did it in the film. I'm not sure that it works particularly, but I realized after reading the book, well, I guess I realized while I was watching the film and I was like, wow, why'd they make the stakes so much higher? And then I was like, oh, because there weren't really any in the book. Yeah, they they (laughs) had to escalate from no stakes to some stakes for the film. So um, I guess I should do a plot synopsis, hey? Sure. All right. So Always and Forever Laura Jean is the third Jenny Han novel in the Laura Jean cycle. And she swears she's done. She swears she's not coming Mm -hmm. back to these characters. So this book came out in 2017. The previous two entries were 2014 and 2015. So maybe it's true. I never quite believe YA authors when they say they're (laughs) leaving, particularly a cash cow. 
Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say goodbye to a golden goose, right? But yeah, I exactly. also think that she's mostly done because just the week that we are recording this episode, it has been revealed that another one of her books has been greenlit for an Amazon series. So oh. I have a feeling she might be turning her attention to other properties that can be adapted. Well, that makes sense. Okay, so we're in the final year of high school. This is the senior year for mm-hmm. Laura Jean and Peter Kavinsky. And um, the plan... The plan is that Peter's going to University of Virginia on a lacrosse scholarship. Mm-hmm. And so Laura Jean is going to go to University of Virginia so that they don't have to break up for university. Yes. Or yeah. they don't have to try to do the long distance thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because breaking up is never an option. <laughs> no, uh, no. Um, and so that's a great plan until Laura Jean doesn't get into University of Virginia. And so she says she's going to go to College of William and Mary, which is very close by. It's an hour away. She'll commute so that they can still, you know, spend weekends together and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's sort of the plan. Yeah. Sounds good. What Sounds could go wrong? Good. What could possibly go wrong? Except that she gets accepted to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which is a better school than all of those other schools. So it's mm-hmm. kind of surprising that anyway, whatever. I don't understand American university structure at Not all. at all. Nope. This book helped not a jot. No. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what these schools are. Are they state <laughs> schools? Are they private? I realized I know nothing about any of this. Well, and of course, it doesn't matter, right? Because No. All you need to know is the distance. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's never a conversation about which school will cost more. No. What the family will be. And I mean, I guess like, what's her face is in Edinburgh, so they don't care. But it's just. Like, this is another teen book where money is no object. Well, actually, we should highlight the fact that Peter Kavinsky's mother, in one kind of rather dickish move when she asks Laura Jean to (laughs) break up with Peter so that he doesn't ruin his future, hmm, Mm -hmm. she does reference the fact that Peter can't afford to go to another school, so he has to go to UVA because he is on scholarship. Yes, that's right. That's really the only time we hear about money. But I mean, from Laura Jean's perspective, it's just like, it's really easy to be self-involved when you're Laura Jean, because there's like no consequences for anything. Absolutely. Which is why I think she spends the entire book fretting about her relationship with Peter, because she doesn't have to worry about getting a job or thinking about saving before she goes to university. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. anyway, she goes on this crazy road trip with her friend, and they go to University of North Carolina to check it out, and she realizes she's in love with the place and she wants to go there, but she doesn't know how to tell Peter, so there's many, many pages of torture like unsure of how to confess to him that she might want to make a choice about her own life. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Laura Jean's dad is getting married to Mrs. Rothschild, much to the delight of Kitty and much to the rage of Margot. Oh, they get sent to Korea right before she goes away to university, which I expected to be more of a thing, but we don't actually even get one page of. No, it's not a thing <laughs> in the book at all, except that it's just another stumbling block to Lara Jean being able to spend time with Peter, to which I was like, Jenny Han, what are you doing? Yeah, I was really surprised by that, actually. And then they have a bachelorette party for Mrs. Rothschild and... Laura Jean kind of gets herself drunk and she breaks up with Peter. And then immediately regrets it. Then she regrets it. And then they have the wedding and Peter shows up at the wedding because for some reason he's her dad's best man. And then um, they get back together and they write a new contract that says they'll be together forever. Mm -hmm. The end. Yeah, they're going to make it work 
regardless of what it takes. So yep. the book ends on an optimistic, hopeful note. I mean, I will say the thing that I like the most about this book, and I'm not going to come down hard on it, but I didn't love Largy in this book. Yeah. I was very much an old man, and I just kept being annoyed at how obsessed she was with her relationship as opposed to thinking about her future. Yep, yep. But I do like that the book doesn't end up divorcing her from her practicality in the sense that she does have a future she needs to Mm -hmm. pursue and it needs to be her own and whether or not things work out with peter kind of also doesn't matter at the end because she has made the right decision to go to a school that's better for her yes i I really liked that because you know none of her choices previously were really about her like she loves the university of virginia but that's not even really about her either right that's about memories of her mom and her mom Mm -hmm. taking classes there and her feeling bonded and connected to her mom and then it's about maintaining a proximity to peter with william and mary so the choice to go to unc is the first choice that is actually like hers and about her and about her future not Mm -hmm. her past I also will say that one of the things I appreciated about both this final book and final movie is that they beef up Chris's role. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first book is obviously dominated by Peter, but also Genevieve. Mm -hmm. And then the second book is dominated by... Johnny Bruce McLaren. Thank you. I was like, the boy who has three names but is not a serial killer. The lack of John Ambrose McLaren in the movie here made me sad. It was a little disappointing, yeah, but I think uh, a certain actor was in too high demand and they couldn't get him back, maybe. Oh, is that why? I don't know for sure. I in the book, sure. it turns out that John Ambrose McLaren also finally gets into UNC. That was his dream school. And so at first it's like, oh, Laura Jean is going and I'm not. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to. And it's a whole like, it's kind of weird in the book because it's like, why is Peter still jealous of this guy? It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Is he going to UNC? I thought he got into William and Mary. He gets into William and Mary, and then isn't he like waitlisted at UNC? But then, oh, oh no, maybe, maybe you're that's right. It. Oh, who uh, knows? This oh, is who one of those care? things where we're thinking, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> it comes to nothing and accounts for nothing, right? He's just sort of a blip in the book. But I would have liked him to blip into the film because I enjoy that actor very much. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The book also has some pacing issues. So I was mm-hmm. telling Brenna offline before we started recording that. I mean, obviously, we joked that there aren't stakes, and the very real stake is that she doesn't get into the school that Peter and she had plans to go to, and that's what drives most of the conflict. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was more about her realizing she needs to pursue her own thing, and that really doesn't come into play until mm, at least the back half. But there's like a whole bunch of developments that just feel like they don't really come to anything. Like Mm -hmm. there's an extended piece where the seniors all go to beach week, where they take a week after graduation, they rent houses on the beach and they party and some of them have sex and so on. And yes, there's a development where you think that Lara Jean and Peter are going to have sex for the first time, but he gets really mad at her. That's where John Ambrose McLaren is. Mm -hmm. And you get the impression that Peter associates in part his decision to not have sex with her because of that. Yeah. But it's also because he thinks that she's saying goodbye. And it's just like, okay, but this is false conflict and it's not super (laughs) interesting to read. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. I was disappointed because I feel like these characters deserved a a better send-off than this. It just felt like they were living their normal, the same lives, and we were just kind of watching them. And yeah, Mm -hmm. Laura Jean's overdramatic, but like she always is. And 
then they and then the end like i really i just i was wanted more from them in their last book i don't even know what i wanted i just wanted more yeah i wanted more from them and wanted less from other things like i really didn't need the margot being unsupportive of their dad's marriage to mrs rothschild because mm. the problem with being an adult reader of ya is that you can very immediately understand where the conflict is coming from and yes. like what the characters are feeling so yes. in this case you're like oh okay this is all about margot feeling like their mom is being replaced and how they're not ready to let her go well, and also that the family moves on without her while she's gone. Like, she's gone away to university, and she's come back, and she doesn't fit into the same slot that she used mm -hmm. to. Which is great. All of that is fine. Except that it also feels like, oh, is this Marco's story? Because if not, why is this in here? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I liked it because it gave Laura Jean something to think about that wasn't Peter. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes, that is very much appreciated. And so when it, when that's not, and it's weird how they address it in the film, and I know we're not talking about the film, but there's, it's just weird how they address it in the film. It's like there's this one moment where Margot's like, I'm actually okay with it. And you're like, were you ever not okay with it? Because you didn't say yeah, anything. I haven't really referenced anything before this, but sure. Okay. The reason that it doesn't work for me in the book is because we are teased this trip to Korea and you feel like, oh, this is the moment where the yeah. sisters are going to bond. They're going to rediscover their heritage because yeah. the mom's present has been this background noise through all three books, right? Like it's really yeah. about Lara Jean learning what her role is in the family as well as becoming her own person. And this yeah. third book really is like, oh, the family's moving on. Yeah. But they still want to do a little bit with the mom stuff. And you're like, well, the Korea trip would be the place to do it, except that you're so damn obsessed with Peter yeah. that it becomes a blip. And then it's all about, oh, our love is eternal. We'll stay together forever. Like, it's literally, if readers haven't read this book yet, you get to the end of one chapter and she's like, we're off to the airport. And then you get to the start of the next chapter and they're back from Korea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They never even land in Korea in the book. No. <laughs> like, no, like to the point where an editor should have said, this isn't necessary and it doesn't help the story. <laughs> yes, because it really doesn't. It just sets up like this weird sort of false conflict within the family because Lara Jean has to pretend to be happy to be going to Korea for her dad's sake, but really she wants to be home with Peter. Exactly. And that's all it does. And I don't really believe in that either because I actually don't think her dad would have sent her to Korea on her last summer when it was the only time she had to be with Peter. Like, I just don't think he would have done that. It doesn't make sense with his character mm. because she gets her way like literally all the time and the whole family is kind of oriented around her preferences. So the idea that he would send her to Korea, <laughs> it's just not believable for me. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of things where I think if you are invested in these characters and you're not too demanding with the story that is surrounding them, this does feel like a, I don't want to keep saying gentle every week because mm. I don't think that this is gentle. This is a kind of lovely way to say goodbye to characters <laughs> that you have grown to like. Yeah. You know, there's, there's still all the things that make these books these books. She still bakes all the time. She still writes letters. You know, mm -hmm. she's still a little too obsessed with romantic comedies and mm -hmm. thinks that she's living in them. Like, all of those things are still here. It just also feels like they're not paying off quite as much as the yeah. other books. Yeah, I, that's how I would describe it as well, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we transition and talk about the film? I think so. Okay. Hey, Kobe. Hello from Korea. 
The best part of this vacation is spending time with my sisters. But pretty soon we'll be back from spring break and then I'm gonna tackle you and smother you with kisses and give you gifts. I miss you. I can't wait to see you. Feels like it's hard to believe. I'm standing in a timeless dream. What all started with a letter, a hot tub, and a diner could turn into this. Lara Jean Song Covey, will you go to prom with me? Yes, of course. <laughs> I love you always, forever, near and far, closer together, everywhere. I will be with you every thing I will do for you. On a scale of one to ten, how much are you going to miss me when I'm gone next year? A four. A four? I'm glad you and Peter are both going to Stanford. You are not cut out for long distance. I haven't gotten in yet. Make sure that's what you want. It's what I want, and it's perfect. You gotta go. You know what I'm looking forward to the most about college? Hmm. Never having to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Next stop on the senior trip, New York City! Heather is taking me to a really cool party tonight. I could really see myself living there, you know? We both know what 3,000 miles would do to us. This is a little dramatic, even for you. So, the final film is called To All the Boys, Always and Forever. And, of course, it brings back everybody from the previous films. This is the question mark I have about John Ambrose McLaren. Two and three, the films, were shot back to back. Mm-hmm. Because the actors were aging too quickly. So uh, they wanted to make sure that they could keep them all looking the same age, but also, you know, they were getting popular. They wanted to make sure that they didn't have to try to bring them back with other projects on the go. Yes. So everybody is still here, minus John Ambrose McLaren, and also minus Holland Taylor as Stormy, who in book three actually passes away. We have a lovely memorial. She doesn't appear in the film at all. I was sad about that. I love Stormy's character, and mm-hmm. I love that memorial. I think it was the Laura genius yes. bit of business that wasn't Peter-related in the whole film, or in the whole mm-hmm. book, sorry, and I was sad to see it excised from the film. So I actually preferred the film to the book with acknowledgement that it, what it is doing is streamlining everything to be mm-hmm. like, it's Lara Jean and Peter, and we're talking about them going to different schools and whether they can keep it together. Like, mm-hmm. that is the only thing that this film is doing. That is the only thing that it's about, yes, correct. Yeah, that means, like, we're getting in, we're focusing on the important thing, which is these two characters that are the leads, let's not forget that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. and then we're basically getting out. So I think it's a savvy move. I think if you were a big fan of the books, you would feel the excisions a lot more, but Mm -hmm. for a general movie-going audience, I think this is smart. I do too. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, I just, I'm not sure if this, I just, okay, so the film, are you still doing actors or are we going into Oh, film? I was just going to say, so it's directed okay. by the same guy, Michael Femignari. Oof, boy, I apologize. So we have a different screenwriter this time. I think because they had commissioned the two films at the same time, they divided the work across two screenwriters. So our new person this time around is Katie Lovejoy. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the big distinction is that we have a new writer to the franchise. Oh, okay. Okay, so... A couple of things get changed that are significant. 
Yes. Some, I think, make a lot of sense and some that don't. So the first is that the Korea trip happens between junior and senior year instead of at the end of senior year. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot more sense. I think it's Me a more too. likely time for mm-hmm. her dad to have made that decision to, to do that trip. I think that it makes more sense. I'm not sure about the idea of Miss Rothschild going. I don't know if that, that makes sense. That was a sense. little weird, hey? <laughs> because in the book, we know about Margot's tension with it. I think in the film, it probably makes perfect sense if you haven't read the book. But in the film, mm-hmm. it was jarring for me because I was like, wait, Margot hates you. Why are you in Korea? Yeah. <laughs> I was really yeah. confused. Um, so I think that's really good. I do think it's also a great way to begin this third film because it gives it a big energy boost. The film cuts down on some of the visual iconography of that second film. Like I remember we talked a lot with Jen, our our former classmate from Mm -hmm. university. We talked a lot about some of the visual stylistics, like there was a lot of like animated bits and things. And here they really dial that back so that we have little credits like time passing kind of chapter headings in a way mm-hmm. but the korea section in particular because of the locations that they choose it looks animated in a certain yeah. way like they hang out at a cafe that looks like it's hand drawn it's a very striking visual that they try to kind of keep throughout the rest of the film mm-hmm. and i think that's a great way to say this is the visual aesthetic that we've adopted for this film Yes, and it's also just really dynamic and lively and high energy as a way to mm-hmm. open the film, a film mm-hmm. that is mostly going to be pretty talky um, and without yes. a lot of sort of dramatic moments, although it, as always, the romantic gestures are like wildly far beyond what any teenage boy has ever in real life come up with oh in the history yeah. of time. Um, but the change that I didn't like, and you might okay. disagree with me, mm-hmm. is... The New York? <laughs> yes, so they make the change that in the original book, it's like, Peter's going to UV, UVA, whatever they call it, University of Virginia. And like the choice is between a university that's one hour away or a university that's four hours away. That's mm-hmm. the choice, right? Yep. That is a scale of teenage <laughs> romance that makes sense. Sure. In this version, Peter is going to Stanford. Mm-hmm. She gets in first to Berkeley. Okay, those are an hour apart, but they're also right. like in a different state. Like the whole point of the Virginia thing is that Peter's staying close to home, right? Mm-hmm. But okay. So now we're Stanford and Berkeley. And then the third school in the mix is NYU. Yeah, all the way on the other side of the country. And again, it it just comes back to this idea that Lara Jean doesn't have to worry about practicality. And I know nobody likes practicality in a film. But for me, it's, it's like a little bit step beyond. I don't know. I just thought it was, I just thought they pushed it too far for no good reason. The New York trip also makes a heck of a lot more sense in the book because you can take the train from Virginia to New York, right? Mm -hmm. But these kids for their senior trip, the entire class flies to New York. Is that a thing? Absolutely not. No. Our senior trip was, we didn't have a senior trip. Hmm. We went to Montreal, I think. I am now wondering this though, because I knew, so when I came to university, I went to Ottawa, as you did, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I discovered that pretty much everybody in the province of Ontario, apologies to people who don't know Canada, basically uh, a province is like a state, but nearly everyone that I encountered when I went to university had taken a trip to the parliament at some point as a school trip. And like for some people, that would have been a 15 hour car ride from where they were up north in like a a small school. So that's not the same. It's not the same as flying across country. Like the minute they got on the plane. Did your friends in Alberta fly to Ottawa to see Parliament? No, they did not. Admittedly, no. 
This is what I'm saying. It's absurd. I know all these Americans are going to write in and they're going to be like, senior class trips are totally a thing. What is wrong with you Canadians? And that's fine. But I think it's absurd. <laughs> well, you can still think it's absurd, even if they are uh, right in that regard. Yeah, it, it feels like a very significant escalation. Yeah. Very apropos for the kind of thing that we see in these film adaptations where it's like, you want to go big. So yeah. let's go big. And especially when you can then do something like New York City, right? On the plus side, it allows us to see Laura Jean on her own, mm -hmm. engaging with a big city. In the New York trip in the book, it's more like, wow, New York is really cool. And maybe there's more out there. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle it. <laughs> well, it's but she does like she she's surprised by how much she likes it after a couple of days, right? And she has right. this thing where she says to Peter, like, wow, like, there's so much more out there than I thought there was. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of the that's great. That's exactly where you want to take this character. Exactly. And that's the that's what gives her enough confidence to say yes to UNC, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in the film, it's just so literal. It's like, New York City is amazing. There's so much to see here. I guess I go to school here now. <laughs> There's no nuance to it at all. Okay. <laughs> I can't disagree with yeah. you. But I also feel like my favorite parts of this film are the Korea opening where it's mostly subtly introducing this concept that Lara Jean can have a good time without Peter, but she's yes. still very much missing him, right? So mm -hmm. they're making the phone call even though there's a 16-hour time difference. But it sets the film right from the beginning, like this is all about separation from Peter and mm -hmm. being super far away. Mm -hmm. So then the trip to New York then makes sense to me as the middle trip of this mm. because it's her really finding her sea wings, but she doesn't have her family anymore. And I love that she does it with Chris because the film, I think, rightfully emphasizes that Chris is a very significant, important person to her. And mm -hmm. I think the book kind of loses a little bit of that. It also reconnects her with Jen, who is going to NYU. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there's so much energy in the New York section. I actually feel like the back half of the film falls a little bit flat. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt that in part the New York section's doesn't seem as scripted and you can feel the cast members having fun with like the selfie videos mm -hmm, like I think totally. they just released the cast and said like go around New York take a bunch of photos and videos have fun with it and then mm -hmm. we'll edit this into the film like it's so vibrant and fun and energetic I loved it totally agree with you totally agree with you I still don't think it makes a lot of narrative sense <laughs> okay <laughs> And the problem is, okay, so here we go. Here we're getting to another significant change, which is, <laughs> yes, in the book, it is very odd that Lara's dad's best man is a teenage boy. <laughs> that part is all very weird. But in the film, they get rid of that. He's not the best man. He's just going to the wedding. <laughs> so, okay. But here's what they lose. Lara Jean doesn't get to get drunk in the movie. <laughs> no. There's no bachelorette at all. No. All the wedding stuff kind of gets shifted off to the side, which I did appreciate because that was the yeah. part I found most frustrating about the book is yeah. that Miss Rothschild and her dad would let her become so invested in the wedding. Yeah. Like they do eventually say, okay, you need to step back because you're being ridiculous. Yeah. But it takes forever. Like it, it bothered me so time. much. So I kind of loved that she is like, oh yeah, I'm involved in the wedding in the same capacity as Kitty is involved in this wedding. Yeah, yeah. Slightly but we do, more we do lose yeah. 
that moment like in the book that's a good source of conflict when she breaks up with peter because she got drunk and then she made a decision she regretted Mm -hmm. and we don't get that in the film as a result no and we don't get that sort of i don't know there's something great about loose Lara jean that i enjoy in that scene oh yeah we never get to see her cut loose no i do feel a little bad for lana condor because she really doesn't get to play a lot of peaks and valleys in this film like she is kind of just standard throughout the whole thing yeah yeah so i didn't like that and then peter just doesn't come to the wedding which i thought was an interesting choice because there's always good conflict at a wedding Mm -hmm. but in the book instead he uses the time when he could have been at the wedding to concoct an elaborate (laughs) like a say anything moment dramatic say anything moment in in the leftover ruins of the wedding and uh yeah again it's just one of those things where it's like the cinematic version has to take it to 11 you know um whether it's believable or not so we've talked a lot about wealth and class yeah and we talked about (laughs) it a little bit here in this episode can we talk about The size of the backyard, how big it would have to be to accommodate a tent for 50 people in this film. It looks like they just built a whole second house to house this wedding, and I was slack-jawed. Yeah. I texted to you that, like, I hate backyard weddings in movies because backyard weddings in movies always look more expensive than hotel weddings a hundred percent like has this been professionally set decorated oh wait yes it has been (laughs) and i just i've never really seen a backyard wedding scene that i thought was in any way persuasive (laughs) and this is but this takes it to uh, just a whole wild like it's ridiculous especially because especially because mrs rothschild I know we're supposed to call her Trina now, but anyway, Mrs. Rothschild, throughout the whole book and the movie, is like, I just want a small wedding. I just want a small Mm -hmm. wedding. Mm -hmm. I just want a small wedding. Really casual. Just what we have already here. And in the book, you can kind of picture it, right? Like some some sort of some fabric strung up in the trees and some candles and, you know, bada boom. that's it. (laughs) But in the film, holy godfathers, there's no way she planned that wedding, A, in a number, a short number of months, and B, with the intention of it being small. Yeah, it's hilariously unpractical and totally ridiculous. Like, movie-level perfection. Yeah. I loved it for the opulence. It's beautiful. The realism is like, oh, we just took a big hit here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the use of Lucas in the film and the book this time around, Joe? I'm sorry, who? Don't yeah. know him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, I felt like Chris got a beefed up role in mm-hmm. both, more so the film than the book. But there's a moment in the opening of the book where Lara Jean is at a party and she's talking to Lucas and some other new character who literally never appears again. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Jenny Han, again what are we doing? (laughs) I appreciate that you need to acknowledge that these characters still exist in this world, but you also then have a responsibility to either be like, we've drifted apart and we don't really talk all that much anymore. Or, oh, right, I haven't talked to Lucas in six months. (laughs) Yes. Lucas is wildly underused again. And I think that's Mm -hmm. been the case basically throughout, especially the film adaptations. I mean, wildly underused in the film adaptations. Mm Mm-hmm. So one other person that we haven't talked about, Brenna, Mm. we haven't talked about him in so long, and this is our opportunity to do so. Oh, who cares? Honestly. (laughs) But it's Noah Centineo, Brenna. (laughs) 
yes, it's Noah Centineo playing that one character he has. I just, I don't know. I was sort of thinking as I was finishing this film, like, he's very pleasant. He's extremely he pleasant is. to watch. He's very, very charming. He's lovely. And I'm fine if this is the last movie we see with him in it. Oh, wow. Okay. He's going to move on to his adult roles. And I feel about him the same way as I feel about What's-His-Face from... Charlie with the Palmer. bangs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're going to give me something new in any of these teen boy roles they're taking on, I'm ready for them to go ahead and age on up to where I don't have to talk about them on a podcast anymore until they're ready to be dads. And Joe and I are extremely <gasps> old in making this podcast. Okay. A, I did not care for that comment at all. <laughs> I, again, do not disagree with you that yes, you know what? If we are forced to reckon with new male protagonists, I'm happy with that. I will give him some credit, though. I do think that his take on Peter, if you look at this film as a relatively straightforward love story where his purpose is to be the best boyfriend and a total cutie patootie, he is selling his job really hard. Like, I found <laughs> him delightful in this film. I don't think it helps the film that he is so likable because it's yeah. harder to believe the conflict. Yeah. But... I've liked the two of these actors together. I've enjoyed this three film arc. And yeah, I, I'm happy to now retire Noah Centineo. He can go back on the shelf with the other <laughs> Kendall protagonists we have encountered. I don't disagree with you that he's very lovely in the role. I wanted him, and not just him, the director, mm -hmm. to take a risk at making Peter unlikable. Peter has oh God, occasionally... No. <laughs> I know, I know. But Peter has <laughs> unlikable moments in the book. Oh. He's like straight up dickish in certain moments in the book. And there's a part in the film that I really thought, I'll tell you the one that I thought was a lost opportunity. Okay. So there's a moment in the film, it's when she confesses to him that she didn't get in to um, Stanford because there's this whole like false oh, conflict thing I could not. where she pretends that she did get in. Mm -hmm. And so he makes like a parade float out of his car and takes mm -hmm. her around to like celebrate. And then she has to confess to him that she didn't get in. And it's awful, actually. It's dumb. Yeah, it was my least favorite part of the film. So there's this moment where she gets into Berkeley, and there is a brief shiny moment where she's actually excited about Berkeley. Like, it's not like William and Mary in the book, mm -hmm. which is just a place to go for a year. Oh, she's yeah. thinking about, like, what's available to her at Berkeley and what's... And plus, it's Berkeley. Like, this isn't a nothing school. Yeah, it's school. not a bad school. No. <laughs> None of these are bad schools. Like, <laughs> your options are, are all good. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So... There's a moment where he says, well, it's only for a year. You're just going to go there for a year and then you're going to transfer, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so... Yes. Mm. And I wanted there to be more there. Like I wanted... Because she gives him a look that's like... It's a look that starts me? to say like, I'm allowed to want things too. Like what if Berkeley is great? But they don't unpack it. No. And I just think that, you know... That is a moment that we could tease out something really interesting there. And mm -hmm. Peter would be more all the more lovable at the end as he is in the book for recognizing that she's allowed to have dreams and hope that are outside of him, right? But instead, they just tamp it down. They just ignore it. They don't do it. And it made me disappointed. Like, I get it. It's probably in Noah Centineo's contracts that you can't make him in any way un unlovable. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But I would like to see it because in fairness to him, as bored as I am of him, I think he's a better actor than these movies give him the opportunity to be. And if they're not going to do that, then I don't want to look at him anymore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair. Yeah, because I felt the same way about the ending. 
in the book, I think it makes more sense for them to say, you know what, we are going to be further apart than we anticipated, but this isn't insurmountable. Like, we can still make this work. Yeah, it's four hours. And then in the movie, it's <laughs> not even, we're going to give it a go, which I could maybe understand. Yeah. She says, other couples break up, but this is Laura Jean and Peter. We're going to make it. Yeah. I was just like, no. With no plan, by the way. Like in the book, there's a lot of conversation about, okay, well, like these breaks, I can come back. I'm going to drive. You're going to learn how to drive better. You're going to learn how to drive better. You, there's a whole thing where you can't have a car at William & Mary, but you can have a car at UNC. So like mm -hmm. there's all this logistic conversation going on, which is in fairness, sometimes tedious. But in the film, it's just like, we're going to be a country apart. We have we're no plan whatsoever <laughs> and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's the level of disingenuous that as a hardened adult cynic with zero romantic yeah. love in my heart, my grinchy, grinchy <laughs> small heart, I was just like, kids, no, we're going to touch base with you in some kind of advert in a year and you are going to be dating new people because this is unrealistic. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I get it. Like, you're not going to end your romantic comedy Valentine's Trilogy. Day movie with this. But I just... Uh, but then I also, in my heart of hearts, was like, well, you can't come down hard on high school sweethearts because, well, once again, listeners, if you have forgotten, <laughs> Brenna did marry her high school sweetheart. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for people to find true love in high school and then make it happen. Do you want to do something wild, Joe? Oh, my God. You're not married to Devin anymore. What? No. <laughs> as of this recording. So yesterday, as of yesterday, mm -hmm. we went on our first date 20 years ago yesterday. To wow zero years ago i've never felt older in my life oh my god <laughs> see i said i have a grinchy small heart but that is genuinely heartwarming that is so delightful i love Aww. that for you <laughs> but not for Lara Jean. not so much for Lara Jean. <laughs> mostly because i know you and i know that you and devin have like made it work and it hasn't always been easy and the film version of all of these stories is always like well you know what with love, anything is possible. And I'm it's like, mm, no, the real message is with hard work every damn day, it's possible. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what love is, is like compromise and putting in the labor. Well, and deciding, right? Like what's interesting about this kind of narrative and teen narratives is teen mm -hmm. narratives are all about me. I am the center of the universe and everything I wish for comes to fruition. Of course. And yeah. the high school sweetheart narrative is like, no matter what, the two of us can make it work because we are teenagers who want a thing and therefore we must have it. And it's yes. like, in actual fact, the only way long-term relationships ever function is when you learn to not exclusively put yourself first all the mm -hmm. time. But that's never a part of the narrative here. No. At all. Because no. <laughs> it's not sexy and it's not cinematic. No, it's true. I will say, though, I think that's one of the other reasons that the film barring all of these issues that we have identified, the reason the film works better for me is because we're not inside Lara Jean's head. Yes. So I don't have to be frustrated with all of her poor decision makings and kind of narcissistic attitude. Yes, I totally agree with you on that. It, it's a relief to not. <laughs> poor Lara yeah. Jean. Yeah. Can I just say one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Before we go? Mm -hmm. Netflix, thank you so much for the screeners. That was super cool of you. Mm -hmm. The poster for this movie is a complete dog. 
<laughs> oh, we're going after the marketing and the ad team now, aren't well, we? Well, it's just, to me, it's just so obvious that, like, we don't have to try. We know that everyone is going to watch this movie. We already gotcha. Yeah. We already gotcha. It's like this streetscape of I'm not sure where, because it, it has, like... Maybe New York? But it's got a cobblestone street. Do they have those in New York? I mean, presumably. Maybe she's Maybe. in Brooklyn. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, but it's so nondescript. It's a sketch outline in kind of blue and white. And then it's just Lara Jean in the middle. And she's sort of staring off into the middle distance. And it says, has the title. And it's like, okay. And the Good job, everybody. Is, you never know where love will lead you. So you're kind of like, oh, she's walking down the street. I get it. But why not go with something like love isn't sketched in stone or something? Oh, like that? yeah. There you go. There you Hire go, Hire me now, folks. I'm available. Okay, I just I had to comment on the because I've had the Wikipedia page up for this entire conversation. So I would remember the actors names. And I'm looking at the poster the whole time. And I'm just thinking, it's a bad poster. It's, uh, it's a bit phoned in. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit phoned in. Hmm. All right. It is funny. I mean, you've got Noah Centineo, you're not even gonna put him on that. Well, that's the today. other thing. It's like, <laughs> what the hell? The one thing he's good at is looking good. You betcha. <laughs> Okay, shall we do a round of YA bingo? Yes, we shall. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, so folks, you will have seen by the time this episode comes out that we have rearranged the board as the retin, so cross your fingers for us. Yep, Joe gave it a good old scramble. Okay, uh, I'm going to say house porn for the backyard wedding. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Filmed in the territory now known as Canada because this is a <laughs> Vancouver movie. You betcha. Uh, montage for the Korea scene. Z, plural. Okay. I will say, I just, I want to give it another shout out. I really enjoyed that sequence and I'm glad that it's in there. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, and it does, it gives the film a bit of energy that I think it was lacking otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a Netflix connection. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Um, we have a perfect date, several of them several yeah we have a, a maligned and absent queer secondary character <laughs> so folks that is one that i have returned back to the board and i folded neglect into abuse as a broader terrible category fair that's fair uh and i think good friendships for chris and lara jean i'm glad that she figures out that that's the person who gets her yeah absolutely so I'm going to throw in some musicality because, of course, we have sequences where music becomes, like, super predominant. And I am thinking a little bit of that, like, New York section where they steal back the couch and they bring it on to the, uh, the metro. Yes. There's also the whole subplot around finding their song, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, well, because why would we? <laughs> they decide on okay. Wonderwall. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, what? No, no, it's, is, is it Wonderwall or is it um, another Oasis song? But I could be wrong. Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it comes to nothing. We never even hear the song again. <laughs> oh, no, that's what it is. In the movie, he ends up picking the song that she heard at New York, which is an original oh, right. song because they didn't want to pay for. <laughs> right, that's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, folks, we watched this this week and we can't remember things. <laughs> I watched it two days ago. I got no idea what's going on. Oh, good times. 
Okay, I'm going to add borrowed time because, of course, we're living on the deadline of when they will have to go off to college. Yes. And in the book, of course, we have the Korea trip as well. Adds to the borrowed time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add a inclusion flip because, of course, in the book, Trina is super white, white, white. And mm-hmm. in the films, I mean, this isn't new. She's played by Soraya Blue, and she has been since Miss Rothschild was introduced, but uh, it continues in this film. True. Okay. Oh, road trip. The trip to, um, well, there's several road trips, but I'm thinking Whichever particularly one the pick, UNC yeah. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I don't know. Do we say holiday climax because it culminates in... A wedding? A wedding? Or is that taking it a little too liberal? Well, it's not a holiday. All right, all right, all right, all right. (laughs) So, um, unfortunately, not a bingo line. But we got pretty close. Well, we tried. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Joe? Yeah. So uh, I hope that you're reading towards our next book club pick as we're looking yes. ahead in the calendar, right? What are we reading again, Joe? What are we reading? Uh, are we reading? A are little we... bit of Judy, Judy Bloom, Judy Bloom. It's uh, going to be, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Everyone, this is Joe's first Judy Bloom. Oh my God, you just keep hammering that home. <laughs> yes, amazed. and we've given you a little bit of extra time to read it. So we're really hoping that people will pick up the bloom and get on with us. And remember, you can message us as you move through the process of reading it. You don't have to wait till you're finished. So let us know Absolutely. what you think as you work through it. Yeah. And then our next episode is a mini-sode on this notion of placelessness. Joe and I have been encountering all these books by white people that don't say where they're set. We want to mm. talk about it. <laughs> yes, we have thoughts about why that is significant. <laughs> yes. And then if you want to get started on the next full-length adaptation, we are headed back to television, Brenna. I'm very excited mm. for this. So we're going to be talking about L.J. Smith's The Vampire Diaries. We're going to read the first four books, the original set from 1991. And we're going to be watching a couple of episodes from the C.W. Kevin Williamson show that debuted back in 2009. My DVDs just came in in the library. DVDs! Ah, DVDs! How quaint. (laughs) It's wild! Didn't have them on Laserdisc, huh? Oh, okay. (laughs) So if you want to get in touch about Book Club, let us know what you thought about Lara Jean's final chapter or anything else. You can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Mm-hmm. If you've got something longer, like Noah Centineo fan fiction, please send that only to Joe. Okay. Uh, Shirtless pictures also accepted. Yes. What? Hmm? HKHSPod at gmail.com. And Joe, if they want to find you individually, how do they do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can be reached at B Storm My Remote, and that is the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C Gray. That's Gray with an A. And uh, yeah, I guess that's yeah. it, Joe. Yeah, that's it. It's weird. We're wrapping up a whole trilogy, and I kind of feel unsatisfied. Oh. Yeah. Do you want some ultimate chocolate chip cookies? I could try to perfect my recipe <laughs> and send them to you. Oh my God, we never talked about the incessant chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Baking. As someone who stress bakes, even Did I found this too much. Oh, no, even I found much. this okay. to be too much. Okay. <laughs> when she was like, oh, I got up in the middle of the night and stress baked. I'm like, oh, that is not okay. That is no, like, it's... you need to go to the doctor. Yeah, it's not normal. It's not okay. 
Until next time, I'll be stress baking at my house and I will see you on the page. (laughs) (laughs) And I will be stress movie watching, so I'll see you on the screen. (laughs) Bye-bye. 